Preseason action is just around the corner for the New York football giants. We look back at FanFest, which allowed the fans to get in and see a mixed bag of results from the New York football giants last week. It came with more injuries and more concerns around what type of surface the New York football giants play on. And also, though, what do we expect as we look ahead to Thursday night, the first preseason game, only a couple more practices before we get real sample sizes around where this team can go? All coming up next. Ah, yes, friends. It is OGP, the one giant podcast, where, of course, we are your hosts over here, Adam Armbrecht, breaking down the Brooklyn Nets over on Locked On Nets podcast with my boy, Doug Nori. And yonder there, the season generational ticket holder, the healthy, wealthy, and well-rested from vacation, Mr. Andrew Mackowitz. You know, Adam, chasing a two-year-old around near the beach is not my form of, def- you know, my definition of, of relaxing vacation mm-hmm. time. Uh, you know, I, I think, I, I you know, next time, I gotta maybe maybe you can come and and, and watch my son for me while I, I just sun and enjoy the the nice the nice beach weather. Hey, listen, uh, choices were made. You know, decisions were made. Life choices were made, and this is a part <laughs> of it. But at least you got uh, some nice weather over the last handful of days, obviously, to enjoy a little bit of that beach. And also, listen, a little bit of fitness because you got you got to track that kid down. You can't let him go. You can't let him go free range. It just doesn't work out that way. As we said at the top. Um, we're into now preseason week number one, Thursday night football, New York Giants, New England Patriots. That's uh, going to be our first opportunity to see the Giants in real reps going up against another team and start to kind of, again, build our opinions around who we think is having success over this offseason, who is struggling, and maybe some guys that we want to step see step up. But end of last week, Friday, Andy was, of course, Fan Fest, got some butts in the stadium, a lot of butts in the stadium, by the way, because they hadn't been able to do it in recent years. Really, really good for the fans. It seemed like it was a good event overall. The product on the field, however, continues to be what we said this offseason so far. Bit of a mixed bag. It is a mixed bag, and we keep saying, like, the defense will obviously look a little bit better than the offense because it takes offenses longer to gel and click, whereas defense is more based on just raw athleticism and and strength and speed. And yes, I think we kind of saw the same thing again, you know, at FanFest. A couple of different things that I noticed that, that were key takeaways for me. One was, man, I'm, my, my, my Kenny Galladay take of him being critically important <laughs> to the success of the Giants feels like it is not aging like a fine wine. It feels like the cork fell out and now it's just turning <laughs> into grape juice. Um because I, Adam, I watched him out there, and there's a, a a really good side view video that everyone's like, look at how far Daniel Jones throws this one behind Kenny Galladay. And it's like, I've never seen a wide receiver go so slow into his break, turn around, and make zero commitment to coming back to the ball to helping Daniel Jones out. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, that was, that was later in the drive. People had a bunch of reps. They were tired. And so a lot of the players were complaining about conditioning. They need to get that up. But even still, Adam, the look didn't look good. And while people originally were bashing Daniel Jones for it, I looked at it and I said, oh no, if this is what's happening with Kenny Galladay, like that's trouble for the Giants when it, when their $20 million man isn't looking great. Well, and again, and you always, you always reference the $20 million man. And again, 
Yes, but that's only in contract. That's contract only, right? The real value of the player it, it should be considered a lot lower. And we've gone back and forth on this. And it wasn't wishful thinking. Like, I don't think that he was going to be critical to the success this year because I don't think that he's going to be Kenny Galladay of old. And you mentioned it last week uh, at one point about a couple of days of rest for Kenny Galladay. Then he comes back looking pretty fresh. A couple of days of rest, you know, back-to-back practices doesn't look so good. Like, I think we're almost into load management territory around a guy like Kenny Galladay. Now, can he ramp up again coming off of some injuries, et cetera, and, and get his conditioning up? Maybe, but to your point, man, and I've said this, not only do bigger body receivers who are predicated more on their size, right, and boxing out guys and high pointing a football, okay, so you don't worry about how quick they are on the field, but over the last decade, as the NFL has been more predicated on quick offenses, right, getting the ball out of the hand, quick route running, versatility, all those things, these become kind of the aged out. And I had to accept this, right? Over the last handful of drafts, I've had to acknowledge, and this is why I got excited around Wandale Robinson. I used to always be so focused on, I want that big-bodied receiver. I want the guy that can go down and stretch the field. And you go, yeah, in the short term, maybe. But long term, this is what you end up with. And it's why when you look back at that signing, as we had said at the time, I loved him two years before the Giants signed him. And at the time of the signing, we both said, man, this is, not the time that you want to get excited about this. And maybe we're just seeing there's going to be concerns around this. And you're going to look at this wide receiving core and say, who else is going to be capable of stepping up? And we have seen some of that as well. Yeah. I mean, Wandell Robinson continues to impress as, as we mentioned before, it's not necessarily about the big body wide receiver while they can be successful. You're seeing guys like Tyreek Hill, Wandell Robinson, guys that are like a little bit more shifty and have that, you know, make, make, make somebody miss mentality. Mm-hmm. He has looked great. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, even before the show, you hear Daniel Jones talking about weapons. Wondell Robinson is generally the first name that comes up whenever they're asking about how the offense is going to look. And I think the most important thing to take away from that, um, Daniel Jones talking about him, and obviously we know what Kadarius Tony can mean for this offense. And I think if we're talking about that Tyree Kill type role, it's like, go do that for us you know, Kadarius, Tony, and then allow Wondell Robinson to do a bit of work. The best thing for me is that you're hearing this for a high second round pick. And at the wide receiver position, there's usually growing pains for wide receivers coming in their rookie season. And it doesn't mean that Wondell isn't going to have those, but the fact that he looks like he's getting himself up to speed, that he's in rhythm inside of this offensive system, almost from day one coming into camp, that to me signals, Hey, the expectations that I started talking about when they drafted him, they're much closer to a reality than not, especially now, maybe even more important when we consider the idea that some of these other wide receivers in this group are going to struggle. And let's just tie a bow on this group as a whole. When you hear that Richie James is really making, you know, putting some pressure on the Darius Slayton decision and that money amount, and he's running with the threes and he's not getting first team reps. And that's all well and good. You know, again, fifth round pick. But when push comes to shove and you need to make difficult roster decisions, now we're I think we're starting to see this hierarchy fleshing out and it's thinner and more intriguing maybe at the back end than we first thought it would be. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we said keep an eye on to see where Darius Slayton was going to be. We talked about the versatility Richie James has with the special teams capabilities. If you're going to be the fifth or sixth wide receiver on a roster, you have to just be able to do other things other than catch a football. You do. You have to play on special teams, whether it's kick return, punt return, whatever it may be. Be a gunner if you have to. Like You have to be able to showcase that you have more versatility across the roster. That is a big concern that I have for Darius Slayton. 
Well, and the wide receiver group overall now, right? Um, Foster had gone down with an injury himself as well. He was dealing with something here. Um, you still have CJ Board, Colin Johnson getting some positive feedback around camp. But we're kind of falling into this group now where, okay, Kenny Galladay is a question mark. We really like what we're seeing from Wandale. We believe healthy Kadarius Tony is an absolute elite weapon in this league. You know, Daniel Bellinger at tight end, okay, but you know, now now you're reducing the weapon load, right? All of a sudden it goes from being five or six weapons to shrinking it down to three or four weapons. And that's okay. It's just going to be something that we can start to watch over these preseason games. The other big thing that I think obviously that came out of the end of last week and over the weekend is the theme that we cannot get away from. We've been known historically to be an offensive line based uh, podcast when it comes to the Giants because there's always been big decisions. And we thought, and there's definitely boxes have been checked, got, saw a beautiful rep. From Evan Neal, just absolutely taking, I don't know who it was coming off the edge, but took him and drove him 10 yards back into the end zone. Um, But more injuries, more concerns. And again, something that you and I, and specifically you though, really drilled home going back to last year, injury concerns around the Giants and the surface that they play on. This this keeps coming back to be one of the the most frustrating things. I I, I just don't I don't keep on I I just can't wrap my head around this completely, Adam. So Marcus McKeithen, uh, offensive uh, lineman for the Giants, was just recently drafted. Um, you know, uh, teammates with Joshua Zudu at, at North Carolina looked like maybe he could be a developmental piece. Could could mm-hmm. potentially contribute depending on what happens. Tears his ACL. And it brings up the same conversation that consistently happens. And it's what turf are the Giants using? It has to be unsafe because this continues to happen. And I will tell you, if you just Google, put in Google like Giants injuries on field turf, Adam, what comes up? October 2020, um, the 49ers are complaining and refuse to go out there after multiple players like Jarek McKinnon and others rip up their knees on the turf saying that it's unsafe. That's 2020. Then you fast forward to 2021 and, and you see the same exact things coming out. Like it's, it's no different. Adam, it's October of 2021 giants, Logan Ryan turf field, causing too many injuries specifically around the ACL for the giants. So you have other teams complaining about it. You have giants players complaining about it. And all throughout that people like Blake Martinez is tearing his ACL. Jabril peppers is tearing his ACL. Marcus McKeithen is tearing his ACL. Saquon Barkley is tearing his ACL. When are the Giants going to realize that it's an expensive redo that they have to do and change out this field turf? Oh, no. You know, and it, it comes down to, I think, a little bit of that, right? Cost and price point. And we know we're not going to dwell on this too long, but we'll hear in the comments, oh, injuries happen all the time. It happens in different field. It's fluky. Where do they happen? What We get that. But again, it's been statistically proven that one form of turf, one form of surface increases the possibility of injuries than the other. So the idea that the Giants haven't made this switch already is a little bit surprising to me. And I won't be, oh, I mean, I guess I maybe I will be, I, I will be shocked if they keep it or don't keep it. Like nothing will surprise me because they haven't made the switch already. And it just seems like the natural progression around improving the conditions that your players play on. And when the majority of the league is all on the other side of this page. Yeah, it, I believe that there's three teams that use this field turf. The Giants, the Jets, obviously, because they play in the same place, and the Cincinnati Bengals, who they've had their AC fair share of ACL injuries with uh, you know, Joe Burrow going down after his leg got planted and some guy rolled up on him. But it, it's, it's very simple. There's only three teams that use it. Everyone compla- complains about it. The Giants 
over the last decade have more had more injuries than basically every other team in the entire league. And look, there's fluke injuries with concussions and collarbones and things like that. Right. That's fine. But I just rattled off seven or eight starters over the last three years that have gone down with ACL injuries. And that's what everyone says is the problem with the field turf is that their, their foot sticks in it. And when they plant, it does weird things. And so, like you said, we won't labor the point on this. It's just something that I think is so silly and nonsensical that the Giants haven't addressed this. That to the point where like someone has to come out and say why they're still using this turf. Of course. And uh, Matt Gano, who also hurt himself there, neck injury. This is unrelated to the turf, but just continuing this conversation around the offensive line. He could be potentially uh, heading towards retirement. He's on the exempt uh, list now for the Giants, but it looks like he's going to be having issues coming back from that, if at all. They made a couple other uh, roster moves. They had moved on from Jaron Williams uh, with an injury settlement. McKathan goes, obviously, to injured reserve. They brought in, I don't even know if Will Holden is still on the roster right now. They brought in the offensive tackle. They brought in They brought in Will Holden two days ago, and then this morning they also signed offensive tackle Eric Smith. Yes, um, so they brought him in as well, which just furthers the conversation that, I think again, this concern that we had already been talking about, what is the depth going to look like across the offensive line? You just want to have stability there, and you just prefer not to be doing this where you keep turning over. These are depth guys, right? As long as Andrew Thomas and Shane Lemieux and Feliciano and Glowinski and Neil, as long as they're all healthy, listen, I get it. That's the number one most important, but you still want to have some confidence in the guys that are playing in behind them because we've seen the Giants and every NFL team run into these issues along the way. Ultimately, if one of your big best starters goes down, listen, there's no recovering from that, but it just it, it stinks to see guys like this go down, especially a young player like McCathan. I, what I will say is I think, you know, when talking about just a, a little bit of a rumor, the Giants are trying to pull any warm bodies off the street just so they have enough to do like ones and two reps. Like yeah, and that's first team, second team, like you, camp, yeah. you need guys in camp to be able to get the reps in. Like you can't have Andrew Thomas out there with the threes like the whole time. Like that's not how it works. And there was something from Giants Daily and there was some chatter um, for with a couple of different people. Art Stapleton even mentioned it. There's a, a rumor going around that there's a good trade candidate. We, we talk about the Jimmy G stuff being just ridiculous, but Tevin Jenkins is a former second round offensive tackle for the bears. Um, he's kind of unhappy has fallen out of favor. doesn't, doesn't look to be in the future plans. You just saw Nikhil Harry go down with a high ankle sprain, maybe out eight weeks. There is a perfect trade scenario where the giants trade for Tevin Jenkins and they, and they move Darius Slayton over to Chicago it helps solve the offensive line needs for the Giants and helps, uh, you know, the Bears actually get a wide receiver that has shown the ability to have seven or eight touchdowns, even in his rookie year. I, I think that's the one where we're like, yeah, I think there's some validity to this if you can figure out the finer details of it. Um, yeah, well, I, I love listen. I love that you're that you're pushing off a, a product that we don't like on our roster and don't think he can crack the top six wide receivers and say, hey, there's real value for you, Chicago. I think it's a just a chef kiss maneuver there. Um, the only uh, my my question would be your point. The finer details. It's like okay, but he's still he's still a recent second round pick. This is as much about being disgruntled in Chicago as it is about the quality of his play. What do you have to give up to get him? And ultimately, you're bringing in a guy that's going to be your backup swing tackle and offer you quality depth because he's not overtaking either of your young talents that you have at the bookends. So call, you know, price point matters here when it comes to a move like that. And then depending on how you feel about where Zudu is best suited, but maybe this offers you the stability of, well, we want a Zudu to be working on the interior. So uh, nothing should be off the table for the New York football giants. But I think ultimately you want to see how things flesh out over the next few weeks and see if you can get some quality reps for the depth players and feel confident enough for them. If you find yourself in a pinch, that being the case, 
If we turn our attention now thinking about it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday here. Oh, one more little footnote. We're going to talk, obviously, about the preseason game coming up and a couple of narratives that I think are both short and long-term for the Giants. But Robert Foster did get back out onto the field on Sunday, limited capacity. That was from Dan Dugan of the athletic reporting that. So you get him back out there in the mix, just something to keep an eye on as we move towards the preseason game and saying, if Darius Slayton is falling down the depth chart, the Colin Johnsons, the CJ boards, the Robert Foster's like, these are the guys that if they can show that they're capable of being, you know, consistent contributors in their lower ranking roles, it makes Darius Slayton through trade through cut that much more likely of a scenario. But what are the things that building towards this game on Thursday night with the Patriots that you think are important narratives to watch over. We only have, we're only going to have three practices before then. And then you get into this game day. Are there things that you can learn? Like, are you, are you watching for anything in preseason game number one and the practices leading up to it that crystallize something? Because I have divisional thoughts. I have QB thoughts and I have running back thoughts over the next three days. Uh, wow. You have a lot of thoughts. Uh, I, I just want to see uh, a competent offense that can move the ball. Like not, not, it's not going to be about like scoring a bunch of points or, or one flashy play by Kadarius Tony. Like we already know that he has that athleticism. I want the giants to be able to show that they can both run the ball effectively and pick up first downs in the passing game. I know that sounds very basic and very simple Adam, but like, that's my, that's what we haven't seen it in so long. Like last year, it, like you just remember those QB sneaks and you're like, we couldn't even move the ball seven yards. I just want to see a little bit more of a progression and hopefully the creativity and the pre-snap motion is something that we really see more and more of as we get close to, to you know, the game against the Patriots. Yeah. Some of the things that I, you know, I'm not going to judge it always on results based, but a, a crispness to the offense, to your point, the pre-snap motions, those things that you want to do, making alterations at the line of scrimmage. I don't want to see something that Eli Manning was notorious for as well. I don't want to be down to three, two, one on the play clock where you feel like you're scrambling to get it off as opposed to, we'll keep it in the family, the Peyton Manning model where I'm at the line so quickly that I can change this up three or four times before we get down to the snap, even if 90% of that is BS that I'm just doing for show. But, But that affects the defense. And if you don't have enough time to confuse them with some dummy, you know, dummy possibilities, then it doesn't necessarily put you on a positive foot. I'll tie this top narrative into the division. Every team inside of this division has weapons that are going to be put in pressure on the quarterback. So you mentioned it, moving the ball with consistency. All three of the, like, you know, the defense in the secondary specifically for Philadelphia is obviously going to be a danger there too. But this offense for the Giants needs to show that they're capable of playing with consistency because every year that we try to evaluate the defensive side of the ball and what they're capable of, we're always left holding that offensive bag and saying, yeah, well, you're a 15-point-per-game team. And then without Daniel Jones, you're a seven-point-per-game team. At some point, the reps and the wear down, that just has the impact on the defensive side of the ball. So being able to evaluate both sides comes down to the offense being consistent. And in some ways, it's going to give us the, the the ability to say, we think there's a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball, especially up front potentially. But if the offense has been struggling and it's not so good, then are we getting a false narrative around how good we think this defense can be under Wink? That's Well, that's the thing. Is like, is the Giants defense really this good, which would be exciting, or is the offense struggling so poorly that – they're not going to be able to move the ball against any defense. That's going to be interesting. That's one key takeaway. That's a good call out at them where you kind of get a completely different team in there. The Patriots are kind of like in flux. They let their best cornerback, JC Jackson go in free agency. So, you know, and the, who knows how much we're going to see the starters, but 
I, I think, you know, just being able to move the ball against a different team and, and a different look um, is important. I do think, I, you know, we just mentioned Kenny Galladay before, not coming out of the break, you know, too well. I would like to see them, you know, maybe just get a couple of looks over in his direction early on, see if they can get him a little bit of confidence or give me confidence that he's still got something in the tank. Um, it may not be part of the game plan originally, but I would like to see him just get a little bit, a little bit of run there. Still, I know you're still holding on, still holding on to hope. Like in a lot of ways, man, it's like, I want to see anybody, I, I, again, I'll, I'll keep coming back to it. If you're going to talk about the concerns around him, I'd rather see Darius Slayton all of a sudden show up with a little bit of consistency because there's at least the potential of, well, this guy can play to a certain level if he ends up still being on the roster. Like Kenny Galladay feels like it's going to be what it is, right? Whatever the ceiling is at this point of his career, whatever the results are. And Maybe, obviously, we know what, what Kenny Galladay is at his best in his career is far greater than what Darius Slayton has been. But there was once upon a time a rookie season when Darius Slayton could basically give you what you had said, right? Kenny Galladay, you don't have to be giving me a thousand plus yard season, but 750 yards and six, seven touchdowns because you're a red zone weapon like that could be Darius Slayton or anyone else outside of that key core group. The thing that I'm watching for here when it comes to, I said, divisionally because I think you want to see how you're going to be able to combat some of these defensive fronts. I, the certain, you know, Dallas is not the same defense as the Eagles are, or potentially as the front seven for, for the Washington commanders, but it's all relative to wanting to see consistency. Daniel Jones, like I I'll do this micro macro thing, right? Over the next couple of days, we want to hear nothing but consistency from him uh, over the practices. And then when we get to those preseason reps, Brian Dable said, these guys are going to play because you're trying to learn what you have in these players and you need to, to put the best level of success when it comes to the season, you need to get these reps in live game action. I was thinking about how, you know, we say well, wins and losses and what it can mean like this season and what that'll mean for Daniel Jones, potentially in a lot of ways, like the critical moments are all that matters for Daniel Jones this year. Like you can tell me that he throws for 25 plus touchdowns this year. And that could be a good thing. You could tell me that he runs for five or 600 yards and that could be a great thing. But if, when you get into the red zone, he makes the poor play and throws the pick, right? If he doesn't look under control in the pocket, if he doesn't look like he's able to go through his progressions. So in a lot of ways, that's what I'm watching for this week leading up to Thursday night is like, I need to see that you're executing when it matters most. Like that's the most important thing in the short term and in the long term for Daniel Jones and the Giants. Yeah, you're you're, you're spot on with Daniel Jones. Obviously, that that is turnovers have been the biggest challenge for Daniel Jones throughout his career. He he, he makes mistakes. And take away turnovers though, like but making the right play. Like that's what I mean. It's like making the right play. It's not even about protecting the football. Making the right play in those moments. Sorry. I- I, I, I agree with you. I think the, the challenge for the first preseason game is how many uh, you think Daniel Jones is going to get more than one series. He'll probably get the first series. Maybe they'll bring him out for a second one. If there's a, a I, know, hope, I hope he gets at least two. I'll be honest <laughs> I, with you. Uh, you know, uh, so I, I'm, I'm wondering how much we're actually going to see. We may only see 10 to 12 snaps of Daniel Jones, which in, in that small sample size, you'd hope that he'd be able to navigate or, or write the ship. Sure. What well, I think there, you mentioned Darius Slayton as opposed to Kenny Galladay. The, the name that keeps coming up to me on the defensive side of the ball and what I want to see is Darian Beavers. I know that you're very high on him and you're excited about him. People are saying his sheer size, like at the middle linebacker position, he is a big mountain of a man. Yep. But also we talk about um, the competition at the position, Adam. And you have Tay Crowder there. You have Blake Martinez coming off an injury. There is an opportunity for Darian Beavers to step up and get legitimate snaps early on in the season. And I think because he's going to be running with the twos, presumably, um, unless Blake Martinez is not going to be out there, I think Beavers could get 
two quarters, you know, only three quarters of reps at the middle linebacker position. And we can really see how he is against other competition. I'm really, I'm really proud of you for bringing up my favorite player. I love it. I love, I love that you made sure you brought the attention back to him. I think you're right. So the other big piece to this is that, right? However many series or reps that the starters get, you're going to then get into the young talent, the backup talent. And that's where you get to do some real fun evaluation. I don't know how much fans really dive into this stuff. I know, you know, from, from talking giants with me over the years. Like I love preseason football. I know that the reps are sloppy and it's all chaotic and it's not easy to watch other teams, but I love watching my team because I know every single player that's there. And I know that, Hey, if Darian Beavers, to your point, well, if he gets two quarters worth of reps, right. And maybe even the dream scenario might be that he gets a quarter worth of reps and he looks really good and they go, great. That's a perfect sample size. We don't need to risk you anymore because now you're moving up the depth chart for us. And you're moving up where we think you can be a contributor for this team. He's going to be able to walk right in there. Blake Martinez coming off the injury. Everyone knows what he is. He doesn't have to be out there long either. He'll have, he might have one of the shortest snap counts of anybody in, in the first preseason game. Darian Beavers can get real run and he may have an opportunity to go up against some number ones potentially if it's early enough for New England and that could really give you a good sample size so I'm excited yeah Darian Beavers is a great guy you'd like to see dominate second and third string guys if he's out there against them um and there, are there any other players because it's a really good way to set the table for this week other names that are on your mind on either side yeah well so I'm I'm curious to see if Rodarius Williams is going to get back out there you mentioned Adoree Jackson is probably like he, he also probably is only going to get a handful yeah. of snaps just to make sure to go through the motions. But we have a lot of question marks at the cornerback position. You know, I have Darnay Holmes maybe in the in the nickel like the slot position. Who's playing outside? Is it Aaron Robinson? What what is Cordell Flott gonna look like? I think you're gonna see those yeah. guys get quite a bit of run. So seeing who's out there and who can actually handle themselves, you know, effectively, even if it's against the second strings. Like I, I mentioned a, a bunch of those guys. Like think about how many of, of those guys we're talking about here. You know, Michael Jaquette is another guy that um, is signed that may have to contribute. So we're going to see a lot of the twos and the threes here, Adam. And, and I think the cornerback room is going to be interesting to see how it shapes up. Yeah, I'm going to put, uh, I think Cordell Flott's a really good name to keep an eye on. Uh, Ellerson Smith this week, right? Uh, Quincy Roche. These are really good guys. Uh, listen, I'll even put, I'll put Cam Brown into that list, right? Anybody inside of this kind of this front seven core beyond the starters, how is it going to flesh itself out? We'll keep an eye on Ocean Eximenez, right? Is it a fluke what we're seeing in camp? Or is he maybe turned a little bit of a corner, no pun intended, underneath Wink Martindale? I will say we can close out kind of on this idea maybe a little bit. I and mean, we can, we can have other thoughts too. But, the running back room is interesting to me as well because you've had the injury concerns now um, around Williams brought over from Buffalo. Obviously you have Matt Breida there. Nothing, you're not hearing, we're hearing so much positivity around Saquon Barkley in camp. And that's great. That's the number one, most important. Haven't heard much around Gary Brightwell. Like we're not hearing anything about anyone else for the most part inside of that running back room. And in theory, it doesn't matter, but here's, I'll, I'll do this two ways. Are you are you curious to watch what happens in the running back room? That's that's one. But two, off of the Hall of Fame game that opened up with the Oakland Raiders, and a lot of people started talking about it because obviously he's with McDaniels, he's an, he's a New England guy. They don't really run with one, you know, number one running back. You saw how much that they had Jacobs out there, and some people started to speculate, oh, you know, are they showcasing him potentially for a trade target for another team that could be looking at a running back? Will you read anything into if Saquon Barkley is out there for significant time showcasing himself for not just for the Giants, but maybe as, hey, this guy is going to be looking really sharp as we move towards the trade deadline? 
I mean, I'd be shocked if Saquon gets more than three carries, right? I, I, I don't mind him being out there if they want to, you know, show showcase his skills in the passing game and say, this is our plan to utilize him. Let's get those reps down. What I will look into more is, yeah, how they decide to let those running backs come out there. You talk about Antonio Williams got, got dinged up a little bit, so he hasn't been able to get as many reps. Gary Brightwell had a couple of nice runs in camp, mm-hmm. so he's taking his opportunity and run with it. Um, we reached out to uh, Dan Dugan and just asked him about Jay Sean Corbin. He said he's been primarily running with the threes, so it's an uphill climb for him. And obviously we know Matt Breida is a seasoned veteran, but has all the speed in the world. And we would I'm assume curious. almost like Matt Breida, not seeing Matt Breida would be also indicative of, right, we're not, we're going to, we're going to, preserve our our most valued backup to Saquon Barkley right well we're going to get Barkley a couple reps uh, to showcase his new way of of how we want to utilize him maybe Brita gets a handful of reps but really I think this is going to be the Brightwell Jay Sean Corbin and you know Antonio Williams show and let's just see who can showcase you know their skills the best and give those guys an opportunity to make some plays any uh, Sandro Plaskummer for you come out there I know that's your guy that's another one of your guys Hope, <laughs> hopefully like we'll, we'll, you know it's been it, a few years. It's, it, it's now or never for Sandra, it's been right? Around, been around a little while. There are three or four other uh, running backs ahead of him now on the list. No, but that's, I think, the most fascinating part. And we're not getting ahead of it here because over the next couple of days, we're going to just continue to talk about reps we're seeing in camp. There's going to be more injury updates. And there's plenty of other positions. We talked a lot about wide receiver core offensive side of the ball. There's a lot of interesting things to look at across the defensive front and more players to watch for on Thursday night. But... Uh, the, the most interesting thing to me is reps. And you said it, like how many reps are you getting? It can be indicative of a few different things. I think the more reps that Daniel Jones gets is the more that this coaching staff is trying to drill the information into him. And then there's a Saquon Barkley piece. There's how much do some of the back end wide receivers get over a Kenny Galladay? If Kenny Galladay is out there for extended time, is that, hey, Kenny, got to see you, you know, start to do it and show us that you're capable of being there along with some of the other smaller pieces. So there's plenty to talk about over the course of this week, obviously. Um, at the end of the day, we are finally getting to real football reps. It may be preseason reps, but these are real football reps, man. When this game goes off on August 11th, we're within, I think, what was it? It's like 50-something days, less than that. They can't even be right. 30-something days? I don't know what the number is. It's not that many before we're going to have real NFL football. I think it's 38. I think it was the other day. Got to be down to like 36 or something. It, like, it's upon us here. And, oh, you know what we'll close out on? I'm sorry. This is an extended at the end of the day. That, man, you do not get a lot of time to get ready for football. They've had nine practices and three of them have been in pads and we're all, and now they'll get three more here, but it's like, all right, here you go. Like when you're a, a really good team going, think you have championship aspirations. Oh, this is kind of whatever. This is just getting through the motions. When you're a team like the giants, you have all this young talent and question marks and new systems and head coaches. And you know, you're like, we, we need 60, we need 60 practices to get this thing together. So uh, do you have any concerns at the end of the day around like how little time this team really has to get cohesion? Yeah. At the end of the day, this is <laughs> no. I, I, yeah. I, I, that's a legitimate yes, Adam. Yeah. Because at, at the end of the day, it's it's an offensive coordinator, brand new to the team, working with a new head coach, first time head coach, working with a quarterback that has had mixed results with a, and we don't know who's calling the plays. We don't know the full offensive scheme. There is a lot. This is not the Rams who won the Super Bowl and are bringing back Sean McVay and Matt Stafford and everything where they already know what the offense is. So at the end of the day, Adam. Yes, this team needs as many reps as humanly possible, and it is wild to think that this offense, after about 10, 10 to 11 total practices, is going to get out <laughs> on the field in competition against another team. 
You better believe it. You get over to YouTube, you like, subscribe, you follow. We're going to be ramping up, obviously, building towards the regular season where we're going to have those consistent check-in dates around injuries, around matchups, around fantasy, around betting lines. So all that stuff is going to start to come into play here. And yes, we will even touch in on some betting lines as we head in mm. towards that preseason game. Andy's favorite topic of discussion. You get us on the podcast feed wherever we get those needs fulfilled. And as Andrew Mackwitz would want, need, nay, demand that people know. As always, let's go Big Blue. 